Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. It meant being somebody in the neighborhood that was full of nobodies. By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport, and believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. You might know who we are, but we know who you are. You understand? Yeah. What kind of people are these? Life is but a dream. What do you do? I'm in construction. If we wanted something, we just took it, and you didn't even think about it. To us, it was better than Citibank. I love that. What do you do? I'm in construction. (laughs) Nothing more Jersey than that. Ever since I can't remember, I wanted to be a gangster. I mean, this is New York after all. Even better, it's Jersey, right? Where we all know all the pizza shops and the dry cleaners, just a front for the mob. Um, But hey, I'm glad you're in the family. Can we welcome the rest of our family watching Nutley, New Brunswick? Mountainside, guys watching online, glad you guys are here for the start of our series, Gangster. And if you're new, I get it. If you're visiting with us, this may seem strange, like a Christian pastor confessing that he loves gangster movies, but, but I do. I love movies about the mob or the mafia, you know. Uh, any Godfather fans here? Godfather fans? All right, I got, right I got, this, is, this is the best I can do. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, not bad? Not bad? How about Goodfellas? Give me a little Goodfellas. Yeah, is, is that funny? That funny to you? What, I like, what am I a clown? I'm a clown to you? Do I amuse you? Is that funny? Funny how? How's that funny? My favorite is The Untouchables. I love The Untouchables. You know, Al Capone, Robert De Niro. Uh, you know, somebody going to mess with me? I'm going to mess with him. All right, I'm just saying. Whether it's De Niro, Pacino, Tony Soprano, uh, it's about the gangsters, I'm in. And that's what this series is about, how a, a good fella turned into a god fella. And next week, you're going to hear from a real-life mob boss, Michael Franzese, uh, the former head of the Colombo crime family in New York City, who at the height of his power was raking in $9 million a week, okay? Uh, he is one of, Fortune magazine lift, listed him as one of the 50 biggest mob bosses, actually, uh, just behind John Gotti. And what's remarkable is that after living a very dark life of money and power and violence and deceit, uh, Michael had a road to Damascus experience and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And he is a believer in Jesus and now an ex-gangster living for the glory of God. Just incredible. His story is riveting. He's coming here to Liquid in person next week to tell us his story. How exciting is that? Good times? Yeah. 
Some of you are like, woo, <laughs> a little bit scary. More about that in a minute. But uh, just to kind of prepare us for Michael's visit, I mean, it's not every week we host a mob boss at church. Uh, I want to tell you where the idea for this series came from, because it didn't come from like Martin Scorsese or, you know, you know, films. But we got the idea from the book you hold in your hands. You got a book on your seat. Can you take that on out? Some of you are like, uh, you know, wait, 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 I got a Bible. Don't be a wise guy, Tim. What are you talking about? Did you know this, that over half of that book, at least half of the New Testament, was written by a hitman. Did you know that? Open, yes, open up your Bible. Take a look at this. Half of the New Testament was written by a real-life killer who specialized in whacking Christians. And, uh, you know, you may know him as the Apostle Paul or St. Paul. That's like his church name. Here in Jersey, you know, we, we just call him, you know, Pauly Numbnuts or whatever the, whatever the, like, Pauly Tutos, whatever the, you know. I, we're honestly, we talk about the Apostle Paul, and we're all used to seeing like a halo around his head or something like that. But let me tell you about Paulie, okay? Back in the day, this was not a guy you messed with. If you were a Christian, you were a follower of Jesus, and Paul caught wind of it, forget about it, all right? You're going to sleep with the fishes. It's church, sleep with the fish and loaves, all right? Whatever it is. It's no exaggeration. I'm not kidding here. Paul was a religious thug, a very violent man who specialized in whacking Jesus freaks until one day he became one. And I want to look at Paul's life today just to prepare us as we get ready to hear from Michael Franzese next week. Because the story of Paul, honestly, the story of, of Michael Franzese, from good fella to God fella, are living illustrations of the power of God's grace. God's grace can reach into anybody's life, no matter how dark your path, and literally change it, transform it for his glory. Like Michael, um, it, this is a real-life example Paul's life is, that no matter how dark your past is, nobody is beyond hope. Through faith in Jesus, anybody can have a fresh start with God at any time. So if you walked in today, you're like, man, I, I, you know, I'm worried it's going to like snow in church because it's freezing over in hell that I'm here. Uh, this is a word of hope for you. Not only that, can God forgive your past? He will use your past for his glory if you let him. So open up to Acts chapter 7. I want to show you how our first picture of uh, Paulie Tutos here in scripture. In fact, Paul was not his name at this point. Did you know that? The name Paul, this is true, actually translate to small, which means the apostle Paul is probably shorter than average. So I want you to picture Joe Pesci in your mind, okay, here. Before he became Paul, he was known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee. That means he was a, re a religious lawyer, a brilliant man, but he had a dark side. And this first picture we're about to see here in Acts 7, honestly, is both brutal and bloody, okay? The Bible is PG in parts. Um, at this moment, the early church was just exploding. It was on fire. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit just set believers aflame, and there was like spiritual revival. Um, Jesus' followers were preaching boldly, and this little cult known as, you know, Christianity was spreading like wildfire. And that infuriated the Sanhedrin. Can everyone say Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin, yes. They were the religious leaders who ruled the people, and they thought that crucifying Jesus would just quiet down all these Christians, but guess what? It only made them bolder, because three days after they whacked Jesus to this Roman cross, he rises from the dead, and that resurrection just emboldened these followers. They were on fire with the Holy Spirit, and the more they preached about Jesus, the more people converted by the thousands. So you talk about a backfire, and the Sanhedrin started throwing people in jail, actually giving them a beatdown and to intimidate, don't you talk about Jesus, wham, talk about him, and you're throwing a garbage can. And here in Acts 7, we're going to actually read about a brutal uh, beatdown here. You meet the first martyr of the Christian church, a young man named Stephen. 
He's described in Acts 6 as a man full of grace and power. He uh, spoke with spirit-anointed wisdom. His face was like the face of an angel, if you look at chapter 6. And check this out. Stephen's job in the church was to care for the widows of the church. And the mob puts a hit on this man. The reason? Stephen took a very bold stand for Jesus Christ. He spoke passionately about his faith in Jesus and laid their responsibility for his murder at the Sanhedrin's feet, which threw them into a rage. Look at this, Acts chapter 7, start at verse 57. It reads this. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to what? To stone him. This is a brutal, cold-blooded killing. It's not a pretty picture, but this angry mob actually dragged Stephen out into the streets to be stoned. And when the Bible says stoned, this is not like New York City stoned, okay? This is like the mob stoned, okay? They, they, they literally pummeled him with rocks, beaten alive, murdered, killed in cold blood. It's chilling. And what's more chilling is the little tidbit in verse 58. It says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named who? Named Saul. In other words, the father of our faith, the first snapshot the Bible gives us of Saul is as an accomplice to a cold-blooded killing. We again think of the Apostle Paul, and this is an older etching of him from medieval times, but at this moment in Acts, he's probably only in his teens or his early 20s, and he stands there watching it going, good for them. Not only that, they laid their clothes at his feet. In other words, Saul was a coat rack for killers. Hey, Paulie, hold my jacket while we take care of this guy. Bam, bam. This is a painting of the stoning of St. Stephen by Rembrandt. It's the first painting Rembrandt ever did of a biblical subject. You see Stephen over here uh, wearing kind of a, a, a gown, and these guys around him, the angry mob, holding jagged stones, blunt boulders, just pummeling him to death. But notice what Rembrandt did. He cut the painting in half. This, this side is all light, and he meant that to suggest that heaven was watching. In other words, God was watching Stephen as he was stoned and says, his death of a martyr is precious in my sight. But this side of the painting is all dark. Do you notice who's lurking in the shadows? A man on horseback with his hand on his hip going, that's right. That's what you're going to get. And that is the apostle Paul. Watching over this murder, this hit, it's the first time we actually see him nodding just in agreement and loving every minute of it. Acts 7.59 says, while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then Stephen fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's one of the ways we know Stephen was a follower of Jesus. He prayed the prayers of Jesus. He had just watched the Lord die on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen says the same thing. Don't hold this against this angry mob. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That's the Bible's way of saying he died. Now watch. And Saul was there giving what? Giving approval to his death. See, guys, we have sanitized the story of the church. We think of Paul as St. Paul, but there's a reason he called himself the chief of sinners. This is a very chilling portrait the Bible paints. But these killers laid their coats at Paul, Saul's feet, and he held them and said, let them have it. Stomp them. I want them dead. This is a part of Paul's very, very dark past. You're holding a book in your hands written by this man. He was a willing accomplice to a brutal murder and gave a thumbs up when he saw an innocent man dragged into the street 
and bludgeoned to death. Now, this surprises us because we envision Paul as one of the church's greatest saints. We think of him this way, like with that halo around his head and pictures. But before he was Paul, he was simply Saul, a stone-cold killer, and he hated the name of Jesus. So much so that after this initiation killing, Paul became the number one hitman enforcer for the Sanhedrin. He literally chased Christians down. He hunted them in the streets. He threw them in prison. And yes, he even killed them in cold blood. Shocking as this may seem, guys, this, we must never forget the dark past from which Paul came. He was no ordinary thug. He was actually a brilliant man. He was raised in Tarsus. That's modern-day Turkey to you and me. He was motherless by the age of nine, but he was raised by very strict Pharisees. In other words, the party most passionate in their loyalty to Jewish nationalism. They lived by a very strict code of law, the Jewish law. He was an expert in it. They looked to Jerusalem the way Islam looks to Mecca, and Saul was groomed to be a made man one day. In other words, he was on track to be a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. He's like, that's what I'm going to be. And he was brilliant. By his 13th birthday, Paul had memorized the Torah, the Psalms, and most of the prophets by age 13. Those of you parents think you're a 13-year-old, right? They know the SpongeBob theme, right? I mean, you know, this guy memorized most of the Old Testament by 13. He was zealous for God in every way, which is why he was so vicious towards Christians. He was absolutely vicious. It made him seem red. He hated them because he looked at this crazy Jesus cult who followed this carpenter, no-name carpenter, and they were destroying the very religion he devoted his whole life to. He's like, you're disrespecting the family. And he was incensed by this good news about Jesus. God's son, he's going to forgive sins. He dies on a cross. And people are buying this. And they're converting. And so the Sanhedrin started cracking down. And they called on Saul to crack heads. He became their number one enforcer. Read verses 2 and 3 of chapter 8 here. It says this. On that great day, a persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And all, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began, can you throw this up here? These are important words. But Saul began, I'm ready for you. But Saul, read it together, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. It is difficult for us to imagine this. The passion, the hatred that Saul felt towards Christians. He was the most feared persecutor of the early church, public enemy number one, chief of sinners. His rap sheet was a mile long, and his reputation for violence grew very, very quickly. In Acts 22, Paul's actually brought in for questioning, and he gives this account. I persecuted the followers of this way, this Jesus way, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. In other words, before they weren't called Christians at this point. Did you know that? That came later. But early followers of Jesus were just known as followers of the way. What, this way of life where, you, where they're forgiven by God and they're reconciled and now they're, they're a child of God and now they live in love with God and others, whatever, this crazy cult way that they have. It made Paul see red, blood red. Paul would literally be given the names of followers of this way and they'd have a contract on their head and he would go out and whack them. In Acts 26, Paul says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to what? To oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. I put many of the saints in prison. And then when they were put to death, 
I what? I cast my vote against them. Guys, this is St. Paul, one of the fathers, the godfather of our faith. Before he became the greatest of saints, he was the chief of sinners. Literally, he was the original gangsta of the New Testament. If Paul came knocking on your door at night, you might find a horse head in your bed in the morning. But you know what's most chilling about all of this, for me at least, is that Paul literally did every one of these heinous crimes believing that he was honoring God by it. He said, I'm doing God a favor by stamping out anybody who steps out of line in this Jesus cult. In his biography of Paul, Chuck Swindoll says, there's nothing more frightening, more vicious than a religious terrorist. What they do, they justify in the name of God. Saul was no exaggeration. He was literally a religious terrorist. He was convinced in his mind that he was living by the moral code of God while he's committing all these heinous murders. It actually, it reminds me kind of that famous scene in uh, The Godfather. Do you guys remember the baptism scene? You guys remember this? Michael Corleone played by Al Pacino. He goes to the Catholic church to witness the, 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 the baptism of like his godchild. And while he's in church, standing at the altar, saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's commissioning his crew to go out and whack the five heads of the rival families, thus becoming the godfather. Oremos, precious nostres, be Christum Domine nostrum. Amen. O demanitudinus gloria tua rudimenta servans, be custodia mandatorum a ad regenerationes gloriam pervenire meriato, pe creendum Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Acipe sal sapiense propiciase si tibi in vita maternam. Amen. Deus omnipotens pate Domine nostri Jesus Christ, quide regenerabene sacque spiritu sacque. Quide tebi tibi remission omni peccatorum, istite liniat crisma te salutes in eiodum Christo Jesu Domine nostrum, in vita maternam. Amen. Santa Meglesim Catholicam Sanctorum Communion Remission Peccator, Garnis Resurrectionem Evitem Eternum, Credo. Exorcisete Mundi Spiritus in Omni Patris, Efrata Quores Ad Aperire, Eridora Suavitatis, Tuatum Epugardi Abri Apocunquabereim Judicium Dei. Michael, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of Heaven and Earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church? I do. Pater nostri qui es in celes andi vicetur nomen tu, panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debite nostrum, sicre nos dimitibus, debitoribus nostrum, se libera nos amalo. Amen. Micael, ingredere in templum dei, Rabias Patum con Cristo in vita maternam. Amen. Crucifixus mortus e sepultus, descendera in peros, tercia di resurrexera mortus, ascendera celus, sedera dexendei patris omnipotentum, inde venturis e sudica revivus et mortus, credo lo Spiritus Sancto, Michael Francis Rizzi, do you renounce Satan?
Wisconsin. I'm so glad we scheduled a baby dedication for this service. I apologize, guys, for that. If we had this baby day, we weren't planning on that one. I think that was God just like, that looks going to be funny. Uh, it's kinda, it is kind of interesting to watch, right? The Godfather, early 70s, so melodramatic, like, you know, that kind of thing. But, the, you know, the reality, Coppola was the first guy to say religion intermingled with violence. And he filmed it that way. As the priest prepares for baptism, the hitmen prepare for murder. And Michael Corleone says, I renounce Satan in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what Paul believed. Every act of violence he undertook, every snuffing out of another human life, Paul believed he was doing in the name of the Lord God Almighty. It's chilling. That's who Paul was, guys. It's not a pretty portrait. And honestly, it's no exaggeration, guys. He earned the title chief of sinners. His rap sheet in Acts 26 ends with this confession. Many a time I went from one church to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against these Christians. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. In other words, Paul was relentless. He was so obsessed with them that he'd go from town to town whacking Christians. Now, what if I told you Saul was going to visit our church next Sunday? Some of you are like, I will not be here. <laughs> you're, you're leaving now. Um, you, it's scary stuff, right? I mean, someone not just committed to killing Christians, but thinking they're doing it in the name of God, that's a madman. You might say, how could somebody, you know, like that? He's beyond hope, beyond redemption. That's how could God ever forgive somebody with a past like that, let alone use his life to spread the gospel of Jesus in a powerful way? Well, next Sunday, you are about to meet a modern-day Paul, Michael Franzese the former good fella turned god fella. And uh, Michael did not grow up in Tarsus. He actually grew up a few miles from here in Brooklyn, New York. And he is, okay, Brooklyn, good. A little bit of Brooklyn's like, yeah, right, okay. He's the real deal. Um, he was pledged to the mafia at age 22 when he became one of the biggest money earners the mob has had since Al Capone. But two things changed his life. First, when he was sentenced to prison. And second, when he met a woman who was a follower of the way of Jesus. And that's when Michael Frenzies first heard about Christ, and he had a dramatic conversion to Christianity that I honestly think rivals the Apostle Paul's. Very few people have ever survived leaving the mob and not died. He actually refused to go into the witness protection program because he said, I'm going to trust God to preserve my life. And guess what? Michael has not just survived, he is now a man with a mission. He says, Pastor Sam, I devote the rest of my life to telling people about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If he can save me, he can save anybody. It is a conversion so riveting that Nightline reported it as their lead story. Here's a clip. An incredible story from the world of organized crime. It's about a man who pledged himself to the mafia 
At age 22, after his father, a notorious New York City crime boss, was sentenced to 50 years in prison, the son rose quickly through the ranks, devising a scheme that brought the family hundreds of millions of dollars. But then came a woman and a moment that made him walk away. Most wise guys quit the mob in one of two ways, witness relocation or a body bag. But Michael Franzese has somehow managed to avoid both, and he still gets away with showing his face on the same streets he ruled as captain of the Colombo crime family. Some of the Bonanos were around here too in this section, but you know, this was our town, this was, this was us, so we had it wrapped up. This mobster-turned-minister has come back to Brooklyn on a mission from God to pay a jailhouse visit to his mafia boss father in an effort to save his soul from hell. And that would be no small feat, because Sonny Franzese is a living legend of the Cosa Nostra. FBI wiretaps have captured this underboss of the Columbos bragging about the dozens of men he's killed and describing his favorite way to dispose of bodies using knives, a kiddie pool, and a trash compactor. Terrible. I mean, he wasn't indicted for that, but terrible. So when you sit down with your dad and you look at him, and he, can, can you imagine him doing these things, these heinous things? The father you love, you can imagine it. I, I can, yeah. You know why I can, Bill? Because I was part of that life, and I understand. Um, am I ashamed of it? Yeah. So how were you instructed in... The difference between right and wrong. What was your moral code in your house growing up? Believe it or not, my dad told me it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to cheat, it's wrong to steal. But uh, he put something in my head which was the wrong thing to do at that age. But he said, you know, I don't ever want you to be in law enforcement because police take an oath to lock up their own parents. And how could you ever do anything like that? In 1970, Sonny Franzese got a 50-year sentence for masterminding a string of bank robberies a crime Michael insists he didn't commit. It was then, on another prison visit, that Michael offered to take up the family business. For about a year, I was in a pledge period where I had to do anything and everything I was told to do to prove myself to them. And then a year later, 1975, I was uh, called into room, and that's the night I got made. What did you have to do in that first year? Do you have to kill somebody? You know, Bill, it's, uh, you're expected to do that. If you're called upon to do it, you're expected to do it. They were bringing so many guys in, there probably wasn't enough guys to, to kill. So they just, a lot of guys came into the There weren't family. enough hits to go around. There weren't enough hits to go around. After a few years loan sharking and bookmaking, Michael concocted a scheme to skim tax money from billions of gallons of wholesale gasoline. How much you make? At one point in time, we're bringing in eight, nine million dollars a week into our operation. And uh, Bill, for seven years, I never lost an argument. I'd think not. <laughs> For seven years, I never lost an argument. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I talked with Michael this week on, on the phone, just kind of going over details for next Sunday. It made me a little nervous, <laughs> uh, if I can be honest, because he kind of just talks like this, first off. And, uh, you know, I'm going over. He is a, he's a changed man. There's no doubt in my mind. He's a very sincere, authentic follower of Jesus. But I realize I'm talking to a made man. This is a guy who, when he left the mob, his father put a contract on his head. And he's like, how you doing, Pastor Tim? I was like, uh, good, we're excited to have you, you know, come to Jersey. Jersey, you know. You ever see Mob Wives? He's like, no. Just. But his faith is remarkable. It is unbelievable because he lives in complete faith with no fear. 
of his past. He's like, look, I'm coming back to my old territory, but it's all right. He has, um, it's incredible, he has a beautiful family. Um, the woman who led him to faith in Christ, he actually married, and she became his wife. They have two sons. He coached them in Little League uh, baseball. Would, can you imagine being the umpire arguing with that guy? Like, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> but now he is literally a man on a mission, and then it's one thing in his life he goes, it is all about telling people the power of God's grace to turn their life around. And he is coming here to share his testimony with our church and the shocking truth that, you know what, no matter how dark your past is, nobody's beyond hope. Anybody can have a fresh start with God anytime. Amen? See, guys, that's the miracle of the Apostle Paul, of Michael, okay? I mean, although they grew up in a very dark world of brutality and bloodshed, God never gave up on him. Even though Saul was a sworn enemy of God, he was a persecutor of church, he was the chief of sinners, God said, I'm going to use that man. I'm going to mark his life. I'm going to forgive his sins and turn his whole life around. And then I'm going to use it powerfully for my glory. That's what happened with Paul. Like Franzese, he had this road to Damascus experience. We're going to talk about this, where God just kind of stopped his destructive lifestyle in its tracks. He actually blinded Paul. He, he humbled Franzese in prison and turned his life around. In 1 Timothy, Paul describes the experience this way. He said, even though I was once a blasphemer, I cursed God, and a persecutor, and a what? A violent man. Paul says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, until the grace of Christ, this, what's grace? This radical, undeserved love of God. Where God looks at your past, you become painfully aware of how dark it is. And he says, I'm going to forgive that if you'll humble yourself. And you say, no, I don't want to punish me. He says, I'm not here to punish you. I died for you. I'm going to cleanse you with my blood. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to use your life. And now you're going to be used for the glory of God. I look at Paul's words here. And I want you to think about these three things this week as we prepare for, to see Michael Frenzies. First, no matter how you appear to God this morning, everyone has a dark side. If we shot a lives of the, uh, of, of the a movie, if we shot a movie of the lives of the people in this room, oh my goodness, I don't know what rated it would be. But you'd be shocked. You, you'd be amazed because you'd be shocked by some of the stuff that's lurking in our past people in this church. Do you know what the church of Jesus really is? What our church is? It's a church of has-beens. People who have been addicted but found freedom in Christ. Amen? It's people who have been, who have stolen or lied or cheated, but they found forgiveness. It's people who have been broken. There are people you're sitting next to. They've been broken by lust or greed or, 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 or shame or guilt, but they found healing in Christ. We're a church of has-beens. We all have a dark side. That's the fundamental truth of the gospel. Even your pastor, okay? I wore this, it's kind of funny. I wore this shirt this morning. I stopped in Dunkin' Donuts like to get coffee, and the guy's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking at me, I'm like, what, what? I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I suspected you, you know, kind of thing. We all have a past, but in Christ, we have hope. That's the second thing Paul teaches us. He's like, regardless of your past, no one is beyond hope. Nobody. There's the life you lived before you met the Savior, uh, greed, lust, addiction, divorce. And maybe you're like, you know, well, my life isn't that bad, Tim. You can keep the T-shirt. That's not me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not like some of the broken people you're describing. Guess what? That's called pride. <laughs> okay, where you actually compare your goodness to others instead of actually humbling yourself before God and saying, you know what, I'm jack squat. I got nothing to offer God either. It's all filthy rags, guys. That's the truth of the gospel. But the hope is 
No amount or depth of your sin in your past can trump the grace of God. And if you question that, wait till you hear Michael Franzese. When the Lord saved these men, he didn't like put them on probation. No, he didn't give them behavior modification. Just try to keep straight and narrow. He gave Saul a new name. He's like, I'm going to call you Paul, and I'm giving you a new mission. You're going to actually take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people who aren't Jewish, the Gentiles. He goes, I'm giving you a brand new identity. And Michael Franzese, when you hear him, he's like, I was a good fellow. He goes, all I, he goes I'm a God fellow. That's all I am to him. He goes, that's what makes grace so amazing. God can take the darkest past and literally transform it. Paul's like, though I once was a blasphemer, I was an enemy of Christ, I was a violent man, I persecuted his church. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. It's like I took a bath in it. And now this faith and this love there in Christ Jesus kind of comes out of my heart. So even though your past may be dodgy, even though it, your, your, your life may be solid, God may, cannot, you can't use, mark this. Anyone can have a fresh start with God at any moment. It is never too late to start living forgiven, <laughs> to actually start doing what is right. When Saul met Jesus on that road to Damascus, he came face to face with the reality of his sin. Can you imagine that moment where he's like, holy smokes, I've been killing Jesus' children. And God gave him a heart transplant. Deep within Paul, something changed. And as you're going to hear next Sunday, Michael Franzese was in prison Something reached in and literally snapped and changed him. In the middle of a prison cell, Paul spent a lot of time there. Franzese had a death sentence on his head, and he was set free on the inside and then marked forever by God for his purposes. And you can too. Listen to how the chief of sinners describes it. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world for one reason. To what? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. <laughs> That's what Paul writes in his letter to Timothy. He says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the chief of sinners, this is where he gets it from, God might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive what? Eternal life. In other words, the chief of sinners becomes the apostle of grace. And God uses Paul to write the New Testament that you're holding in your hands. You're reading his words. He is the communicator of the gospel to everybody in the Gentile world. What's the point? Oh my gosh, don't stay stuck in your past. Don't focus on what might have been. Remember, in Christ, you have an eternal life ahead of you that begins now by receiving forgiveness and being freed of shame and guilt. And then he gives you a new identity in his forever family. That's the gospel. That's good news, amen? Is that good for you? So let me just ask you, if this is good news to you, who are you sharing it with? Guys, this next Sunday, I honestly, this may be the best chance you have this entire fall to invite somebody, a family member. How many of you have a family member who has a dodgy past or, you know, you're like, yeah, my cousin Vinny, you know, <laughs> or a friend or a coworker who's like just hostile to religion, whatever, to hear the most riveting testimony they will ever hear in church. We put three invite cards in your program today. Can you pull those out? We put three in here for a reason. We want you to invite three people next week. Do not miss this opportunity to invite three people to church next week because Michael, he's going to give a 100% full account of his life in the mob, behind bars, and now how it's been changed by Christ. And it's going to be powerful. I have heard him give this message, and we're already praying as a church. We're like, we want people to come into the family of God next week. We want them to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And this is your chance. 
How many of you know somebody in your life who's a little skeptical of religion, this whole Jesus thing, but they're open spiritually? They're like kind of, this is, guys, listen to me. Even people who are hostile to faith or not interested in church, when they hear the firsthand testimony of someone whose life has been undeniably changed, in other words, it was going in this direction, but now it's this way, they're a new person. Even people who are like skeptical say, I may not believe all this Jesus business, but that guy's the real deal. Something happened to him. And I can't explain it, but if God could do that for him, could he do it for me? Yes! He has done it for all of us. I've got the t-shirt. He's still doing it today. And next week, you have a chance. Listen to me. You have a chance, not me. You have a chance to partner with God in bringing somebody to faith in Jesus Christ and changing their eternity. Michael is very articulate, and he is going to give a very clear presentation of the gospel, and then he's going to invite people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. So do not miss this opportunity. I've actually, um, Colleen and I, we've invited eight people. That's kind of like our record so far. Um, and we actually need extra invite cards. If that's you, we've put three in your program. And if you need more on your way out, pick up a stack, okay? We have them out in the lobby at all our campuses. Send people to our website. Show them the video teaser, whatever. Put it on Facebook. This is a big day for our church. A minister, <laughs> a mobster turned minister. And I'm like, finally, there will finally be more than one sinner standing here talking, right? It's like about time. Does this, this excite you? Is this, uh, guys, I'm very excited about this. And here's what I want to, how's I want to end. I want you to think right now, close your eyes, of the faces of the people you're going to invite this week. Would you just think of them for a minute? Just think of their faces. And I want to pray right now for them. Bow our heads, all our campuses. Father, we thank you because of your son, Jesus. We're new creations. Lord, the old is gone, the new's come. I remember when I invited you into my heart 30 years ago about. And that grace is still fresh, God. And I pray right now for those who feel chained to the past, would you actually lift their eyes and wipe out any shame or fear and replace it with boldness and faith? God, we're your children. We're, we're just broken people sharing the message of this new life in Jesus. And we want to share it with our friends. So I pray right now for every single person who will be invited this week, Father. I pray for the Holy Spirit right now. We're thinking of their faces. Lord, the guy in the gym, the gal at the salon, the person we eat lunch with, Lord, you know their names. And as we invite them to come this Sunday, would you go ahead of us with your Holy Spirit? Just soften their heart, Father. Begin doing that now through your Holy Spirit. Lord, get it prepared, Lord, for us to plant this seed. We know you're already at work in their life, God. You're inviting them into your family, drawing them now. So give us confidence, Lord, to invite them. And we ask that many will have their eternity changed forever. We ask all of that, God, in the name and the power and all the glory to go to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.